On today's episode of the John Cavey Show podcast, apparently Jodie Foster is saying she was offered the role of Princess Leia before Carrie Fisher when she was 13 years old. Also, what parts of the Netflix Daredevil verse is Marvel actually going to bring over into their canon and which parts are they going to throw away? AMC Theaters stock has hit an all-time low. Madam, <laughs> Madam Web is going to officially be the longest movie in the Sony Marvel verse. Monarch Season 2 is not necessarily going to happen. The showrunner is saying there has been no order for another season yet. Aquaman 2 is coming to digital video way sooner than expected after its, well, let's call it what it is, a disastrous box office run. The Oscar favorite, Lily Gladstone, was snubbed at the BAFTA Awards. She wasn't even nominated for Best Actress there. And Mandalorian Season 4, we talked about how it's coming, but the old reporter's saying, hold your horses, it may not actually happen. That and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. Uh, I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff not just giving you our opinions, but hopefully giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or even a bit different than ours. Uh, joining us in the studio today, we got Ray Ora. Hey, hey. And uh, celebrating special day, Jonathan Voiko's here, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Hey, Laura. Happy 10-year anniversary. I love you. And thank you for my jersey. I'll Aww. see you soon. But your wife's name is Karen. Oh, well. Karen. <laughs> Oh, no, I just started, I, I just caused <laughs> drama at home. And of course, joining us, Chris Carr is here. Happy anniversary, Laura. I'm so glad you're letting us borrow your husband. Well, I didn't get to <laughs> announce my anniversary. Oh, to uh -oh. what? Of 22 years. Of, of what? what? For Xbox. Hey. On November 15th, 2001, we got together and it's been a awesome. So November, you 23 this years. This is not yeah. your anniversary. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Now that we're announcing things, I might <laughs> yeah. as well. Happy anniversary. <laughs> might as well let the world know. <laughs> anyway, guys, most importantly, you are here joining us today. Thanks so much for making this show part of your day, and here's how it's going to go. We're going to start off by talking about all those topics that I listed off. Then we're going to take your live comments and questions. We already asked our beloved YouTube channel members to start firing some in. But if you guys are watching live, and you have to be watching live, go ahead and use the Super Chat feature to send in some thoughts, theories, opinions, questions, whatever it is you got, and we'll get to those at or near the end of the show. All right, guys. With that down, let's get things started with this, shall we? Star Wars is, of course, the greatest thing ever of all time that mankind has ever conceived of, put to thought, and manifested into reality. <laughs> and, of course, one of the great parts of Star Wars was our beloved princess, right? Carrie Fisher who played Prince, Princess Leia. It's, quite frankly, almost impossible to imagine Princess Leia being played by somebody else. But somebody else, indeed, almost played Princess Leia. Jodie Foster was doing the late-night uh, circuit, and last night she was directly asked, hey, we heard that you had been offered the role of Princess Leia, and she said uh, this. This comes to us from Variety. <clears throat> yeah, I was. Foster replied, 
they were going for a younger Princess Leia, but I had a conflict. I was doing a Disney movie, and I just didn't want to pull out of the Disney movie because I was already under contract. The role of Princess Leia ultimately went to Carrie Fisher, who was 19 years old during filming. Casting Foster in the iconic role would have changed Star Wars as she was only 13 or 14 years old when George Lucas's original Star Wars was filming. All right, so a <clears throat> couple things to talk about here. First of all, it's understandable why they would want to look at Jodie Foster, right? She was fresh off of doing Taxi Driver, and uh, like her career just snowballed after that, right? So she was a hot name at the time, even as such a young actress. But wow, that would have changed things, not just because of a different performance, but that's one thing to have a 19-year-old young Princess Leia and a 13-year-old Princess Leia. Because when I heard this, the only thing I could think about was Han Solo going, I don't know, what do you think? Princess and a guy like me. And Luke going, fuck no, dude, you're your mid-30s. She's 13. I mean, it completely would have changed things there. Then how old would she have been in Return of the Jedi? 18? 18 maybe then. Maybe. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Or an empire. Does Luke kiss her an empire? I mean, I don't know. Changes a lot of different things. I mean, clearly... Jodie Foster is not just currently an Oscar caliber actress. We all saw in Taxi Driver, she was going to be a lifelong talent. I mean, she would have done a great job as Princess Leia. Clearly, she would have. But uh, I think history played out the way it should have. And I'm actually ultimately glad they went with a 19-year-old Princess Leia as opposed to a child Princess Leia. Anyway, Chris, you heard about this. Yeah. What's your takeaway? Man, that would have made the brother-sister kissing even worse. <clears throat> even weirder. Oof my goof. I love that they ended up with Carrie because that that is who I can only see as Princess Leia, even if she had to, you know, do an English dialect back to people who were speaking to her in one. <laughs> uh, she's she's our princess, right? That's who we always see her as. But obviously, Jodie Foster, if given the role and they had changed some parameters, what a great graphic. Uh, <laughs> she would have killed it, too. It just would have been such a different story. We would have had a very different princess and it would have had. I know, almost even like a never-ending story quality to it, or even, you know, the prequel kind of stuff when we have a very young Amidala and everything. So it just would have changed the whole vibe. Well, and one of our live viewers, George Harrison Live uh, Chat, brought up a really, really good point. The other story point that it really would have changed, not that it would have changed the movies too much, but is that Luke and Leia at that point could not have been twins. Very true. Right? So they, I mean, they still could have been brother and sister, I suppose, but then that changes what the prequels would have had to have done years later. But it changes an awful lot of stuff. Still, I love this these Hollywood stories about about casting. You know, I mean, to me, this is right up there with the fact that um, a Magnum PI, uh, Tom, Tom Selleck, Tom Selleck, I almost want to say Selkirk. That's my uncle's last name. Tom <laughs> Selleck was supposed to be um, Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones. Mm. but then couldn't because he had a contract to do Magnum P.I. And then George Lucas says, well, I've worked with Harrison a lot. And they brought, and, and, you know, I just love this type of stuff. Anyway, guys, what do you think about this? How weird would it be now today to think about somebody other than our princess, Carrie Fisher, playing the role of Princess Leia? Let us know what you guys think down below. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, there's been a big change in direction that happened over at Marvel, Right. Marvel, as we all now know, was going to use Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin and Daredevil in the MCU, but they were not actually going to be the same Daredevil and Kingpin from the Netflix series. 
Well, what we found out the other day is that Marvel's done a complete 180, and now they're going in the totally different direction. They're saying they are now the same ones from the Netflix series. They scrapped what they were doing on the Daredevil Born Again series. They almost went right back to square one to start up again. But that raises an interesting question because we know they're not going to take everything from the Netflix. Not everything in the Netflix universe is going to be canon to the MCU. So what will be and what won't be? And that is the topic of today's Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. Listen, guys, if you've got a question for our show and you'd like to hear your voice on our show, go ahead and call our hotline anytime 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And again, today's question is about what parts of the Netflix stuff will be canon? Check it out. Hey, John and crew, this is Scal from North Carolina. As we all know, Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix is canon to the MCU now. But my question is, with Marvel picking and choosing what's going to come over, what do you think they're going to do about Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and Iron Fist? Do you think they'll keep that same cast? Do you think we'll have different stories for them? What do you think they ultimately do with them? Thanks a lot, and bring on the filthy. All right, man, thanks a lot for calling that in. And listen, it's a really fascinating question that we're going to have to think about because I've already seen the discussions online about, well, they've got to bring back whatever the guy's name who played Iron Fist was. I keep forgetting his name. Finn. What's that? Finn something. Yeah, Finn. That's right. It was Finn something. Uh, not Finn Balor, but, no. but, but a Finn. Finn Jones. Finn Jones. Thank you. Which also sounds like a totally made up name. But anyway. Well, I mean, well, of course, I saw, I saw this discussion, this very heated argument online. Of course, Finn Jones is coming back. The Netflix stuff is canon. And and I, I I get that mentality, but it's it's sort of canon, right? They're going to take some stuff. They're not going to take everything. So what are they going to take? Well, if we're going to put on our speculation hats here, I, the one thing is obvious. I think the core story of Kingpin and Daredevil that we got in the Netflix series, I think most of that is going to be canon. And now that we found out that they've changed directions, because remember, there was going to be no Foggy and there was going to be no Karen, but now they are going to be there. I think that kind of reestablishes that most of the events, most of the events in the Daredevil series itself will be probably be canon. They'll probably bring over most of that. But I don't think the same can be said of just about everything else. <laughs> I think, by the way, a lot of people running around saying, well, they already confirmed Punisher's coming. Actually, they have not. That has not been 100% confirmed at least not by the studio. I do think he is coming back. I do think they're going to bring in John Bernthal as Punisher, but we've talked about this before. Punisher is going to be a tricky character for Disney, right? So while I think we are going to get John Bernthal and he is going to be Punisher, I think he's going to be a slightly different Punisher than maybe what we had in the series. They'll bring some of the facts over from the shows, I think, season one. By the way, I don't know why nobody talks about season two of Punisher. I love season two of Punisher. Everybody talks about season one. I thought season two was brilliant. Anyway, so I think they're going to bring some story points over that will make it clear, hey, this is the same Punisher we had before, although I think they're going to make him a little bit different. <clears throat> but then that opens up the stuff about what do they do about Iron Fist? What do they do about Luke Cage? What do they do about the Defenders? Do, are they going to say that the events of the Defenders series is canon to whatever? Because if you do, well, Finn Jones is, Iron, is the immortal Iron Fist. And he's going to come in all pissy and entitled like he normally does. I, I, my guess is there ain't going to be no Iron Fist. At, at least not the one that we had on the Netflix series. They took a shot at it. 
did not work out well, was not received well by the audiences and stuff like that. I'll go out too and I'll say, I don't think we're going to get uh, Luke Cage. At really? least not the Luke Cage from the Netflix series. Now, don't misinterpret me. I love me Mike Coulter. I am as boringly heterosexual as it comes, but I would not turn down a hug from that man. <laughs> that is a mountain of a man and he was great as Luke Cage. But Luke Cage season two was pretty damn weak. And I'll also say, while I like the first half of Luke Cage season one, once Cottonmouth left, like once you didn't have two-time two two time. Academy Award winner Mahershala Ali in there anymore, as great as Michael Coulter played the character, I thought the series kind of went downhill. And I actually don't think they're going to do that. I think at some point Marvel will love to do that Luke Cage, Iron Fist team up, but I think they might be a new Luke Cage and a Luke... Uh, or, and, uh, and a new Iron Fist, maybe. So that's the stuff that I think is definitely going to come over. That's a couple of things that I, I think definitely won't come over, and that leaves a slight middle ground. What about that? that the the <laughs> ladies in, um, was it Iron Fist? The Jessica, Jen, Jessica Head? Uh, uh, wing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, no, Bobby I don't wing? think... <clears throat> you don't think she's going to... I don't think they're going to bring her over. Oh, okay. I don't think they're going to bring her over. But oh. that does leave one... Out, like stay outstanding piece in the middle. Mm -hmm. Jessica Jones. What do you do about Jessica Jones? Now, Jessica Jones has already mentioned that nobody had talked to her and stuff like that, but that was true of the Karen actress as well. Mm -hmm. Paige, is, isn't that her name? Right, that was true of Foggy and Karen as well, that they hadn't talked to them, but now they have. So just because they hadn't talked to Jessica Jones before, and who played Jessica Jones? Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter. Mm -hmm. That's right. I always, I, I always remind myself of her name. I think of John Ritter. So Kristen Ritter. Um, I, here's the reality of it. I didn't like the Jessica Jones series. I actually didn't think it was all that good. While I thought the villain season one was insanely great, it, it was just a thing to me that there was no journey for the character. Like when you got that last scene of season one where she's just back at her PI desk again and she's got the same attitude that she had at the beginning of the show. Her character was right back to where she was at the beginning of the show. And there was no real character development stuff like that. And then I thought season two was a bit of a mess, to be honest with you. But just because I feel that way, the reality is a lot of people loved Jessica Jones. A lot of people loved that show. So I am in the minority on this. So where does that leave it? I think they're going to bring her over. I think they will. I, I mean, again... I think Marvel is still incredibly male-centric, heavy with their superheroes. The, it, when Jessica Jones, they've got a character that had success on the Netflix side. You got a great performer playing it, and it was a very well-received, even though it wasn't by me, the reality is it was a very, very well-received series by the vast majority of the viewing audience. So I'm going to say Kingpin, Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones coming over. I'm going to say Iron Fist, Luke Cage will not. And uh, which story points they pick up and which they don't, we'll have to see. Chris, uh, I mean, I know you were a big fan of the Jessica Jones series. I loved but, Jessica Jones. But when you look at the totality of that Netflix mm -hmm. universe that they had, mm -hmm. which things do you think are a foregone conclusion they will bring over? And do you think there's anything that you really question that they'll maybe just leave behind? I'm with you on, I think Finn Jones probably will be left in the dust here. And I, I will say, I was not a fan of Iron Fist, but I do think Finn Jones is a fantastic actor. He was wonderful on Game of Thrones. I, I don't blame the actor for and it. And I yeah. do think a lot of that, the, the buck stops, ironically, with Scott Buck, the showrunner of that, and also of Inhumans. You know, we heard all the stories coming out of that show too, of just everything was so rushed. They did not 
choreograph things ahead of time so they couldn't plan their fights. They couldn't rehearse their fights. Things were just wild over there. I just so, want to repeat something you just said. Mm-hmm. The same showrunner of Iron Fist Did was the showrunner of Inhumans. Yeah. So I think we're always quick to see the the actor and and go, oh, it's their fault. But remember, there's not. so many other moving parts here. That's not to say that actors are blameless when a show doesn't work out. But there's a lot of reasons why I think that one just didn't come to fruition. That being said, I feel like people really enjoyed Jessica Henwick, like uh, Ray brought up, Colleen Wing. People loved that character. She's a great character. Misty Knight, who also, you know, we first saw, saw on uh, Luke Cage. I would love if we brought in Daughters of the Dragon. I would love that. I think it'd be wonderful. Jessica's incredible. I'm blanking on the actress who played Misty Knight. I know she did a courtroom show with Aaron Cummings. Yeah, she did. Afterwards. It was the, where she was a judge. I yeah. can't remember the uh, name All of Rise? Was All that Rise. the name? All Rise, yeah. Yes. That was the name of Aaron. Um, she's a fabulous actress herself. And so I would love to see them come in as well so we have that team up in there. Because again, boots on the ground kind of people, always super fun, especially when it's, you know, in a a trainable human activity, right? Martial artists who are just at the top of their game would love to see that in there. I do think we are probably, in, in my opinion, I think people really liked Mike Coulter as Luke Cage. I loved him as the um, role. And I know once we had Mershaw go away, that show kind of deteriorated in quality as well. But man, I thought he did a phenomenal job, but I'd love to see him in the mix there too. You know what's also pretty good in that show? Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy. Yes. Um, he was actually pretty good in the show. great job. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone who's been involved in there has been really, really great. I do think they're probably going to pick and choose a few plot details, right? Maybe we won't have that big um, kind of arc we had with, you know, the, um, the was it the, the hand? hand? Yeah, I always start to say foot and I'm like, that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Don't do that, Chris. <laughs> um, so I don't know if we'll have how that all came to fruition. We might swap out our Electra potentially too, you know, because uh, that kind of went, a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would love if we had Night Nurse back in the mix too, yeah. but Rosaria's got, you know, a pretty full slate herself. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like they will bring most people back. And I really, I feel strongly that Kristen will be back in the mix because she and Charlie Cox had fabulous chemistry. I do think she was a wonderful Jessica Jones personally. I loved the changes they made from that comic. My only gripe on that one was, oh, you shouldn't have killed Purple Man. Because when he did pop back up later on as this, yeah, in her mind, like in this scene, I believe, it's just a figment of her imagination. Those scenes worked really well where we still saw the trauma and how she still was fighting this. But he was such an amazing baddie. And I feel like we're missing something like this with these Netflix shows, right? When we had him, when we had Cottonmouth, those characters needed to stick around longer for us to see some real tension and drama, much like how we need that (laughs) looming threat of Kingpin. So I noticed, if we bring anything, bring I, a villain who lasts. I notice the writers tend to lean toward bold moves, like killing off a character midway yeah. through, shooting Kingpin in the eye, in the face. But they go for these bold moves, and they shoot, they paint themselves into a corner. Because yeah. then it's like, how do we come back from that? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, the bullet grazed his eye. Or they have to come up with these cheap things to like— to like take away from the the bold move. Yeah. And then we're just like, well, that was dumb. Which is very comic booky ultimately. Yeah. If, no, it's fine. Even though my spine was severed, I have an exosuit. And let's face it, this is still. the MCU, right? They <laughs> yeah. can bring back anybody they want mm-hmm. for whatever reason at any time. So you could, yeah. the problem with bringing him back though is that like the Purple Man, he's, he's way OP. Like he is really, when you look at, this is a guy who could easily take over the world in the matter of a week. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to, so that makes <clears> that which only made his character even better because he wasn't just 
a straightforward mustache-twirling villain. There were different layers to him. He was ultimately a, a creepy asshole. Yeah. But I mean, at the <laughs> same time, he was, again, he didn't see himself as the asshole. He didn't see himself that way. And I love villains that have that kind of complexity. Well, and we had that lovely moment in there, too, of you could be a good guy. You could do good things. And then it was just, eh, no, I'm not going to do that. But this is my very comic booky idea here. Okay, we either have somebody rip out his tongue and then there's some growing serum that he can get so he can get his powers back. But you just have to kind of like take it away so he can't talk for a while. Or he gets amnesia, doesn't know his powers, doesn't know his traumatic backstory, starts finding his powers over time. When you don't have the trauma of how you were raised with that power, do you still become a horrible human being because you can mm. control anyone simply with your speech? Or do you have any heroic virtues come forward? Is it a nurture versus nature moment? All right, and we will find out. Question is for you guys. Call me again. What parts of the Netflix universe do you think they will bring over and which parts do you think they're going to leave behind? Like, they're going to cherry pick kind of like what Star Wars did with the Grand Admiral Thrawn. Which parts makes it, which parts don't? Let us know what you guys think. All right. <clears throat> with that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? I have a really, uh, I'll just admit up front, I have a very love-hate, complicated relationship with AMC theaters. Uh, many of you know, followed me for any period of time. I worked with AMC for a lot of years and I loved my time there. I made some great friends there. There's some people who were in leadership there that I have a lot of respect for and there will always be a very, very special place in my heart for AMC theaters. And it's still the movie theater I go to. That's still the theater I go to. That being said, in my own personal evaluation and opinion, they have one of the universe's ultimate jackasses as CEO right now, who's just a complete bumbling idiot and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing in uh, Adam Aaron. That is my own personal assessment. You can have yours. And I've gone over many, many, many times why I think this guy is just a, you know, a stumbling boob when it comes to being the CEO of the company. Might be a wonderful person as an individual away from the job, but my assessment, and we've gone over why I feel this way many, many times, is that one of the most disturbing things I ever saw this moron do was when we were at um, CinemaCon two years ago. You guys will remember that a part of that game stock meme stock boom was AMC theaters. <coughs> AMC theaters stock was low. The company was completely heading in the right, wrong direction. Adam Aaron, of course, was there. Of, of course, things that were outside of even Adam Aaron's control, the pandemic and stuff like that were happening. But then AMC got caught up in the meme stock boom, right? And all of a sudden, their stock at one point nearly hit $400 a share. I think it was like $393 a share the stock hit when it was down like around five or something at one point. And I remember being at CinemaCon. I've told the story before, but it, it, it's relevant to this story. I remember being at CinemaCon, Adam Aaron got up on stage and basically boasted about how he saved AMC. Uh, people thought we we're in trouble, but look at us now. And like he was basically taking credit for it. And I, I, I'm sitting in that theater in Las Vegas and I almost got myself thrown out because I wanted to stand up and yell, you insufferable dick. You did nothing. This was the meme stock that saved your ass. You had nothing to do with this. Anyway. Of course, through no fault of AMC's or Adam Aaron's, that stock, meme stock, was going to come down. So it came down and started to hover around the $60 mark, $50 mark, but it dropped more and more and more. And the other day, it closed at a record low $4.11. This comes to us from Yahoo Finance, who wrote the following. 
At its lows of the day, the stock was down more than 11%. AMC stock has been on a downward spiral for months as the theater chain continues to issue stock to reduce its debt, a move which dilutes equity investors. The stock is down 90% since July. Not since the meme stock time, because that's down 99% since the meme stock. But just since July, it's down 90% when it traded at just north of $40 per share. In June of 2021, the stock closed at a high of $339.05 per share on a split-adjusted basis. Now, if we go over and take a look at this chart, and you'll have to take my picture down, you see that yesterday, the stock closed at $4.11, when in as early as August, it was still peaking above $40 a share. Now, of course, there are some realities in the industry, <coughs> pardon me, that were outside of the control of it, much like the pandemic was completely outside of the control of anybody in leadership at AMC, 100%. But again, I don't need to go into it again because those of you who watch the show regularly, we have gone down the huge laundry list of all the, what I think have been the completely erroneous moves that AMC has made, some of the ridiculous claims that the leadership at AMC Theaters has made, and some of the actions their leadership has taken. And one of the things that they're doing... I, Although I think there's an argument to be made for it in their defense. They have a lot of debt still, right? And so they've been issuing new shares of stock. The problem is, as Yahoo Finance kind of pointed out, when you have a certain amount of stock, it has a certain value. When you start to pour more stock into the market, the value of that existing stock drops. So AMC found themselves in a situation, we need to raise more capital to pay off debt. The way we do that is by issuing more stock. The consequence of that is the stock price drops and stuff like that. So it brings us back to kind of where we were in pandemic times, Chris, where we are looking at having to ask the question because AMC theaters is still the biggest theater chain in the world. Mm -hmm. The movie industry, I don't think it's hyperbole to say needs AMC theaters. The movie industry needs a healthy AMC theaters. How bad would it be if in two months from now, which we may not, it may not be far from reality, two months from now, waking up one day, opening up the Hollywood Reporter and seeing AMC theaters files for bankruptcy or, or something along those lines. How big of a problem would that be for the industry as a whole? Oh, I think huge. I think it'd be a huge blow to the industry, especially with how many things are pivoting towards streaming. We need people to see movies in movie theaters. We need them to be seen on a big screen. And this is the way that most people have access to it. There absolutely are mom and pop movie theaters throughout the globe that you can go to. But these mainstream staples, one, are able to have multiple screens that can afford to have a whole bunch of people in there and also give you a wide array of films to go see that maybe you wouldn't naturally gravitate towards in your streaming life or when you have one of the smaller theaters that only has access to a couple big name temple properties. You won't see any of those cool indie films that could come here, any of those limited releases, things like that. What's really wild here, too, is just that number that Yahoo Finance puts out, too. Stock being down 90% since July of 2023. Just from six months ago. That's wild. 90%. Most of us, if we lost 90% of our worth, would be really trying to figure out our shit, right? We'd all be on ramen noodles and trying our best and not seeing people and using candles. So that's kind of the approach AMC has to take here a little bit, too, right? of doing all this refinancing, trying to have this plan out of liquidating as many assets as they can possible so that they can recoup on all of this debt they accumulated during the pandemic. 
Now, they lucked out because their last quarter, they did fairly well because of those big tentpole movies that became events. Oppenheimer, Barbie, the things like that phenomena. really bailed exactly. them out. And you have to then hope that you get to have lightning strike twice and have something else like that. Uh, they're going to be releasing their next line of uh, quarterly assets, I believe, on January 28th. So that's the next time we'll see how finance is truly doing over at AMC. But it'll man, be, it'll be a little harder because they you got you had Dune move mm-hmm. and a couple others. So yeah, that hurt them. I think it's expected that this quarter is going to take a slump, and then you know you'll start to see a pickup. When we have Q1 those big movies because, out, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, I mean, we've got only one Marvel movie coming out. So exactly. I, look, I, I'm a supporter of AMC. I'm a supporter of their stock. Um, Matter of fact, I took advantage of this drop. Uh, but it's not a bad move. Yeah, but but hard times are still on the way. I mean, the industry is still reeling from coming back from COVID and then two strikes. Yeah. So we'll call a spade a spade. It's fair. When you see something like this, though, like if the the January twenty eighth quarterly earnings release has some abysmal numbers for you as an investor, is that something where you jump ship or no. do you stay the course? Uh, because I'm not expecting abysmal numbers because I we kind of like live track it mm-hmm. so we kind of have an idea okay so no um and they are they still have cash in to 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 go forward for a while mm-hmm. um and i'm not a i'm not opposed to them selling shares that was part of the reverse split deal we knew that was going to happen there's two things in their favor with the with selling shares right now mm-hmm. when they sell shares they're not selling it at four they're selling it like 650 so they're selling above market and when they pay off their debt they're usually doing it about 70 cents on the dollar because banks are desperate for money. So they give them like 30%. They've had off. to make arrangements. And that that does add value, but that's still not to say that they're not in in trouble. And by the way, I want to give credit where credit's due too, because while I, I take a lot of time to list off all the dumb things that they have done, I want I want to point out a couple of things. One, brilliant move. Getting involved in the in the distribution game with the um I almost like said con- uh, Katy Perry. Oh, yeah. Uh, but well, she's probably the, on the Taylor way. Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah. With their movie. Remember, AMC was the main driving engine behind that. They were the distributor of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that made them a decent amount of money. That was a really forward-thinking, out-of-the-box kind of idea. And I, I think, listen, if I'm going to give them crap for the stupid stuff they do, I got to give credit. I think that was a really, really good move. Absolutely. But, I mean, man, if... I mean, clearly... Uh, and, by the way, since this report came out, the stock dropped more. Because when the report came out, it was at, they called it a record low at $4.50. Yesterday, it closed at $4.11. I think it might have recovered a little bit today. I don't know. We'll have to see. A little recover. It's like 20 cents up from there. So it's about $4.30, right now. So, I mean, but if it continues to drop, it gets down into threes and stuff like that. This could be, but again, this isn't just a problem for AMC theaters. This is a problem for the industry as a whole because this is the biggest exhibitor in the business. They, so they do have the option, just real quick, of stock buybacks, and I know that is talk. Right, but and, you got to have cash. You got to be cash rich to be able yeah. to do that. So we'll see what happens. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, uh, one thing I think everybody right now can agree on: the most anticipated movie on everybody's list is Madam Web. This is the movie that everybody is counting down. You've got your, what do you call them? Your Hanukkah calendars, your Christmas calendars, whatever, where you put the little candies on every day and you wake up in the morning, you can take down the next candy. You're counting down to Madam (laughs) Webb. I know y'all are, don't lie. Well, for those of you who have the foolish belief that longer equals better in a movie, which it absolutely does not, but for those of you who have that belief, good news, according to a report, 
Madam Web is going to be the longest Sony Marvel movie in existence so far. This comes to us from the folks over at Coming Soon. The all-time great already Madam Web runtime has been revealed for the latest entry in the Sony Spider-Man universe, and it's the longest film yet. The Norwegian film ticketing website FilmWeb via the Direct lists the Madam Web runtime as one hour and 56 minutes, or 116 minutes. This makes it the longest Sony recent uh, recent Marvel movies, as it beats the first Venom film's one hour and 52 minute runtime, which was previously the lengthiest. Now, you would think with the quality of Morbius, it would have been even longer, but it wasn't. All right. <clears throat> I am of the belief, for those of you guys who watch our show, that shorter is not better, longer is not better. Every movie has its own perfect runtime. For one movie, the perfect runtime for it may be an hour and 45 minutes. For another movie, the perfect runtime for it may be two hours and 20 minutes. So whatever, we don't really know whether a movie's too long or too short until we sit down and watch it, right? But I got to say, while I am very intrigued by the premise of Madam Web, uh, and I am, I'm, I'm very intrigued by the premise. I think the premise sounds like it has promise. I have some concerns about the trailer, which I do not think was great. Uh, that being said, who knows how the movie will turn out. <clears throat> I gotta say, I thought this would be a good movie to come in around an hour and a half. I so thought this Ray. would be a good one th <laughs> to come in right around maybe an hour and 35. Because wasn't Bullet Train like right at like 90 minutes or something along those something lines? Like that. There was a movie recently that was right around there and it just, it had such great pace. Two hours and six minutes. Was Bullet Train? Mm -hmm. So that's the wrong... I, there was another movie that was out recently that was around the 90-minute mark. And I remember coming out of it going, that was actually, like, perfect. I for, think, wasn't for that, that Godzilla minus... <coughs> no, 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 it wasn't, wasn't. Sorry. Just I can't going, remember sorry. how long Godzilla... But I don't think that's the one we're talking... At, at any rate, I just remember thinking, when I looked at the premise for this movie, I remember thinking, this would be a prime candidate for a all-thriller, no-filler, great pace... Great thing, boom, boom, in and out, done, and hopefully you got a winner of a film. I'm, I'm honestly a little bit nervous about this thing pushing up to two hours because even in the Sony Marvel movies that I've really liked, Venom, Venom 2, <clears throat> I think it's benefited from not being too long. And I, I kind of thought this one should be shorter, but who knows? This might be the greatest film ever made. This might be the movie that Martin Scorsese himself comes out and says, I take it all back. Madam Webb has shown me this is cinema. Maybe it is, and we're going to come out wishing it was three hours long, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this. Madam Webb is going to be the longest one Sony has done so far. Good sign, bad sign. Can't tell till we see it. What do you think? Ultimately, we can't tell till we see it. However, this does not thrill me. Just because Sony has not had a great track record. Also, this is a very big deviation from the comics. Now, that's not to say that you have to stick to the comics, obviously, to have a great adaptation. We've seen Marvel before take big swings and make some huge changes, and it really pay off. I think it's very interesting that we've got, you know, Julia here, because that's who Sydney's playing as our, our Spider-Woman or our second Madam Web. I think it's very cool to have her in the mix. I'm very confused about Cassandra Webb in this, because it is a very big reimagining. Right now, given the time travel-y, see-the-future kind of aspect of this, I'm not in love with a longer runtime. I really was honestly hoping for a really nice, tight, 
quick film that we are just action packed and having those kind of replay moments, jump in. Okay, let's figure this out. Let's redo that moment. Let's save this person. Let's adjust this moment in time. I like when television shows do that. I think that's a really fun device of what can I change? What butterfly effect moment can I shift from what I did last time in that run while I'm in this time loop and make that adjustment? Two hours feels bloated just with that kind of plot device. Right. Yeah. But who knows? I could go into this and see it and have my mind absolutely blown. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's what's going to happen. That could happen. I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, listen, I went into, I, I've said this a lot, sticking on the theme of Sony. I went into Spider-Man, into the Spider-Verse, completely believing that movie was going to suck. I had no hope and no faith in that movie whatsoever. And I walked out thinking it was like one of the best films of the year. I, I lose my mind over it. I think Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was the best film of 2023 now. Maybe that'll happen with Madam Web. Oh. It's doubtful. Oh, but speaking maybe. of short, John. Yes. Today we're watching ISS and that's an hour and 35 minutes. 95 minutes. Good. Nice. Perfect runtime. Yeah, yeah. Perfect yeah. runtime for that's that. out already, Ray? Uh, well, we're, we're seeing it uh, one day early. Ooh. At five today, I'm pretty excited. Five today, I'm, I'm excited to see it. A little it. shorter than that because you're not going to sit through all the credits, so yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. With that down, we still got to talk about there may not necessarily be a Monarch season two. Aquaman two is going to digital like within a month of when the movie was even released. Oscar favorite Lily Gladstone didn't even get nominated for Best Actress at the BAFTA Awards. And the Hollywood Reporter is coming into bringing into question whether or not we're actually going to get a Mandalorian season four. That and a few things more. But before we do, we're going to take a quick second and thank one of the sponsors of today's episode of the John Campbell Show podcast, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours. Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. On average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds aren't looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save you money this year. Just switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. I've told you guys many times that after switching to Mint Mobile, I am spending less than a third on my cell bill than I used to with a major carrier. Say goodbye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All Mint plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And don't worry about having to change phones or numbers. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So guys, to get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash that's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bills to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys. With that down, let's get on to this, shall we? You know, Monarch on Apple TV Plus. First of all, Apple TV Plus has just been killing it. But their show Monarch... Uh, just had its season finale, and I got to tell you guys, I loved the show. I thought they did such a great job. I know there were some people who were very nervous about it being, you know, a human-focused story in the world of Godzilla, but I thought they did a great job with it, and I absolutely loved this show. And when the first season ended, 
I got really pissed off because I didn't know that was the last episode. <laughs> I honestly thought there was one more episode to go. So it wasn't until the next morning that I came in and Jonathan and Ray were like, no, no that was the, I'm like, I can't wait to see the fight, the finale next week. And they're well, like, you're lucky. You just saw it. Yeah. Well, uh, actually you don't have to wait a week. You saw it last night. I was so pissed off anyway. So then the countdown for me begins about when does season two come? But here's the gist. Apple has not ordered a season two for it yet. Uh, this comes to us from the folks over at Superhero Hype, who wrote the following. Speaking with TV Line this past week, showrunner Chris Black was asked about a potential second season of the hit monster drama. While Black was quick to say that no official news on season two is available, yet uh, the series does has done very well, so he remains hopeful. He said the following. We do not have a season two order, Black said. This show has done very well, he volunteered. So we're very optimistic and excited. We feel we have more story to tell. And again, that comes to us from Superhero Hype. Now look, not <clears throat> every hit show gets their next season announced right away when the first season is wrapping up. But what we have seen in the movie and television industry is that when a show is doing great, before the finale even comes out, they come out ahead and say, and we have greenlit season two. That builds more hype for the finale and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes even like a few days before a movie comes out, they'll come and say, we've just greenlit the sequel. They go, oh my God, they must really believe in this film. We should go see it. And it's, I have to admit, it's concerning for me as a huge fan of this show that we are now a week separated from the finale and we still got the showrunner going out there and kind of having to publicly campaign because that's what really the showrunner's doing here. The showrunner's out there publicly directing his comments to Apple TV Plus saying, hey, we did really well. We have more story to tell. And uh, but listen, folks in the public, we have not gotten a second season order. This concerns me a little bit. Now, look, I don't know what the overall numbers on Monarch were. I do know that while Apple TV Plus is killing it with the quality of their programming, I know they are not the highest viewed of the subscription services, right? <clears throat> so what is a hit to them? What is not? Like, it's not doing reacher numbers. So, and you listen, with the scenes with Godzilla and with the scenes with the other monsters, I mean, it can't be a completely inexpensive show to do. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the Godzilla stuff did not look like they cheaped out for TV. It looked great. <laughs> it was great. so awesome, that last episode. Oh, it looked so good. Oh, boy. And I, so maybe there's an argument to be made here that the cost-to-benefit ratio doesn't add up to do a season two, whatever. Listen, even if the numbers weren't great, and I'm not saying that they weren't, but even if they weren't great, I would argue to any Apple executive watching today that the quality of this show is so good, the numbers are only going to go up in season two. More and more people are going to find it over the next little while as it lives on Apple TV+. And I think you could have a Reacher effect. Remember, the first season of Reacher did okay, but the second season of Reacher blew those numbers away because more and more people got onto it. The quality of the show went out. The entertainment value of the show got out there. I think Monarch has that same kind of potential. Can, can we give, or maybe it's uh, Apple TV Plus, maybe their criteria, it has to go through the same thing, even if the season is well, good. Like the, maybe they're just really picky. Maybe they want to know where they're going, maybe talk about it. But just in case we don't, I want to say Wyatt Russell, Kurt Russell, I've never liked him in so, something 
Uh, I never liked him more than it, I, I've. He was in Monarch. Like uh, he played it great. I want to see Wyatt Russell again. And um, the lady, the lady that I don't know what the actress name is, who played the uh, the daughter, old, the older, no, the older. Oh, the grandmother. Yeah, yeah. The oh, yeah. She was great. Yeah. So they were all great. By the way, my favorite Kurt Russell thing will always be Backdraft. I haven't seen. You it. go. We. You never seen Backdraft. I haven't seen that. It's Escape from L.A. Because I, I was never really a Kurt Russell guy. <laughs> you can skip Escape from L.A. Um, but I did yeah, Big Trouble from in Little New York, China. It's fine, but was he Big yep, Trouble? Yeah. Big Trouble in China. That's you, the only you, Russell. You want to watch there. Escape from New York? Oh, oh okay. you can skip Escape from L.A. Oh, oh, there's two different. There's, movies? Yeah, there's there's two different <laughs> okay. ones. A little, little okay. insight on that. Anyway, Chris, you hear about this? I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of. Assume we would have heard about a season two yeah. pickup from now. I'm a little bit worried it doesn't happen now. What do you think the odds are? I think they're high because this is such an amazing show and it's so watchable and rewatchable. This is great. I started this ahead of Logan and then I went back and started watching it with him again already. And oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so, so good. And the effects are bananas on this show. I keep desperately trying to find the budget for this because those last two episodes Ooh. look better than Marvel movies. Mm. they're fabulous. But that being said, I want to know how much money Apple is spending on this because at the end of the day, that's going to always factor in, even if it is getting views, even if it is having people tune in, getting critical ratings and everything, how much is this costing Apple to make? Apple obviously has a butt ton of money. That's a technical term. But they don't have unlimited resources. They do have finite budgets. So that is something that's going to come into play here. That all being said, they also left so many things that I want to know more about uh, without getting into too much spoiler territory here, right? There's certain other kaiju. There are other titans that they're trying to keep away. There are technological things that if you're in the kind of monsterverse, no, you want to know more about this. One of the things I think that Apple needs to do moving forward, though, because this is the question I get asked all the time is, well, do I have to know a bunch about Godzilla to watch this show? Because right. I don't. And every person, it's, of course you don't. Same with uh, Godzilla Minus One. The thing I kept getting asked was, well, don't I have to know a bunch about Godzilla? Absolutely not. Nope, not you a thing. You just go in. Yep. If you know about it, then you get to have that moment where you're Leo DiCaprio pointing at your screen. I know this. I see what that is. <laughs> I get that reference. But this is such a accessible show that if you want this to be your first experience with Kaiju, oh my gosh, you're going to have such a blast. And then hopefully you'll fall in love with this franchise, go back and see some of these other films, compare and contrast. But if you've never seen Godzilla, Kong, <clears throat> any of it, what a great window kind of to jump right into. And like what I want to see is what we discovered at the end or, you know, the, yes. relationship, the relationships that were, I want to see how that plays out. I mean, yeah. we just saw the, the reactions, but I want to see where they go from here. You know what I mean? Without getting to spoiler territory, that might not make sense to most people or unless but, you watch uh, the show. Listen, guys, if you have not, and I'm sure a lot of you pro probably haven't, if you have not jumped on and started watching Monarch, uh, how many episodes was it? Eight, uh, nine? Ten. Ten? It was ten? ten? It felt like five. Um, they were long. Yeah. You need to get on it and, and start watching the show. I think you're really going to appreciate it. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? It was in late December that Aquaman 2 finally came to theaters after like three or four different release dates and pushes and the reshoots and the drama and all that kind of stuff. It finally came out. Now, everybody hated this movie. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was particularly good. I certainly didn't think it was as good as Aquaman 1. But I think my enjoyment outweighed the cringe a little bit. I, just barely. I'll, I'll come out on the... <laughs> I didn't mind Aquaman 2. 
So I think that makes me somebody who liked, I probably liked it a lot more than most people did. At any rate, the first Aquaman movie was the first and only DCEU billion dollar film. Now we all knew, at least some of you crazies out there were insisting the sequel was still going to make a billion, but most of us all knew that it wasn't going to make a billion. But some fools, namely me, <laughs> still insisted that, okay, it's not going to make a billion dollars, but Aquaman 2 will become the first DCEU movie in over five years out of their last seven films to crack the $400 million mark. Me too. I said, I, yeah, I mean, it won't make a billion, but it'll, it'll at least become the first DCEU film out of the last seven, out of the last five years since the last Aquaman to break the $400 million mark. Well, it looks like I was wrong. Because as of right now, if we go over and take a look at this, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, after four weekends, is sitting at $378 million. And I actually don't think it's going to make the number, the next $22 million it needs to make to crack that. It's going into its fifth weekend. More stuff's come out in theaters. I, 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 it looks like maybe I was wrong about that. And so the DCEU is going to finish by not having a single of its last eight films make more than $400 million. To compound and kind of put an exclamation mark on the disaster that this was, not as big of a disaster as the Marvels, but to put an explanation point on the disaster that this was, uh, it looks like DC is kind of waving the flag and they're going to rush this thing out onto digital as reports are now coming out that January 23rd, mm -hmm. that's like one month exactly almost, Ray, double-check the release date for sure. Aquaman 2, but I think it was like December 22nd or something like that. I could be could be off about that. But January 23rd, they're going to release this thing for VOD. They're going to put it out on uh, Apple Play. They're going to make it available on Roku. Not streaming on HBO yet, or not streaming on Max yet. That'll come a little bit later. But for rent and purchase, this thing's going to be available. December 20th? December 20th. So almost one month from when it came out. Five days from now. They're waving the right flag at the box office saying, we're just going to make this thing available on digital now on January 23rd. Look, I know the vast, vast, vast majority of people did not expect Aquaman 2 to hit that billion dollar mark as well. But while I only guaranteed it would make over 400 million, it looks like I was wrong about that too. I thought, I'll be honest, I didn't think six or $700 million would be outside of the realm of possibility. I mean, the first one made a billion dollars. People love Jason Momoa. P-Willie. P-Willie. Everybody loves P-Willie. There's something wrong with you if you're not on that P-Willie train. Yeah, everyone needs some Willie. <laughs> Check my watch, but I'm not wearing one. Need so. some Willie. There's your new T-shirt right there. Um... I, 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 like, even with all the drama, but, you know, <clears throat> considering the drama and all that kind of stuff, I thought, okay, clearly not a billion, but I, I don't know how they look at this as anything but a big disappointment because the reported budget on this thing was about $205 million. But where it really gets problematic for them is I just read a report this morning saying they spent, hold on to your hats, $200 million on marketing. What? $200 <laughs> million. Jesus. On marketing. Now, after I picked my job off the floor, 
that's not actually as crazy as I first thought. Because remember, they are, they remounted this marketing campaign three times. They were, had already mounted their marketing campaign for its original release date the year before. So they spent a shit ton of money marketing it then. And then that all went to waste. And then they really put their foot to the floor because, God, I, I couldn't go 12 hours without seeing Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom ads. Everywhere I went, billboards, television commercials, trailers dropping. Like, it, they, you can't blame that the marketing campaign for not doing enough to raise awareness. People knew. I think a lot of people forgot because they didn't care. <laughs> but they were putting this thing in front of people's faces. Now, to do the math, if they spent $205 million making it, and if these reports are right and they spent $200 million marketing it, if those reports are accurate... You're talking about a movie that needs to, at minimum, make six hundred million to break right. even. So they're like three, no, two hundred something under. So they're like, well, they're two hundred million in the hole right now. <laughs> Going out in a bang. Go okay. out with a bang. Come on, DCEU. And James Gunn and Peter Safran are just sitting back, going, "Hey, this, this wasn't our movie. We didn't make this one." <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, Chris. How? I mean, obviously, the DCU, with or without Aquaman two, was going out on a massive whimper. Mm-hmm. Huge box office lets downs for Flash, Blue Beetle, almost everything they did in the last five years. Uh, how how bad is it for them and their legacy that Aquaman finishes out probably under four hundred million again? And does this have any negative carryover for when the new DCU launches in 2025? What do you think? I think so. I think there's a little bit of a thrill me that's kind of coming with Superman Legacy. All right, this better be good. You guys, you know, closed shop, you burnt down house, you did a fire sale. Thrill me. That being said, I do think there's still hope for Aquaman's success in the streaming world. I think this is something where people will finally start seeing it then because we have seen so many people have that 40-day window of, okay, well, the box office didn't do great, so let's pop it on streaming. I think a lot of people waited to see this because this thing I kept hearing over and over and over again was, do I need to see this movie? Is this movie important to anything going forward? And... People kept saying, well, no, not really, I guess, unless you want to see the finishing of this Aquaman and his journey. So I think a lot of people were also just waiting to go see it. They didn't want to go to the theaters. They didn't want to spend their hard-earned money. They'll just catch it when it's on HBO and it drops there on Max. So I think there's still hope for people to get some eyes on this. I really think the whole announcement of the DCEU going the way of the Dodo and now we're having the DCU as its own entity. I think that really was the nail in the coffin here because I think so many people did do the, well, I don't need to see these movies. I don't get the point. And I know for us as moviegoers and in our bubble, well, every movie makes sense. Every movie, there's a reason to go see it ultimately, you know, just because I want to go see these characters. I want to do this. But I think for people who are more casual comic book fans or casual, you know, superhero genre consumers, it was, well, this one doesn't seem like something I have to watch, including Blue Beetle, including Shazam, including all these others. And on top of that, you do have the kind of mediocrity fatigue, right, of we've been bombarded with this genre. I'm really going to just kind of wait till I hear good things about something. And this did not have great reviews. So I feel like ultimately just people kept coming back to that. It's not an important one for me to catch. So when they have this new setup, 
they are going to be, we think that $200 million number is crazy right now. Oh, they are going to do so much marketing for Superman Legacy. There are going to be so many promos. There's going to be so many weird kind of cross-venture pollinization things happening. You're going to be Superman in Fortnite. They're going to do everything <laughs> to make sure that people go see these movies because they have to tell people again, these movies are important and matter. Whereas I feel like their own treatment of their IP the last few months or years, however you want to look at it, has kind of been, yeah, we made this movie and it's fun, but we also scrapped everything. So take that for what you want. See, I still, I, I still, I have this conversation with a lot of people online again who say, well, the DC box office dropped off because it was announced that they were canceling the DCEU. I reject that argument though, still, because if that, I, I, I contend, and I could be right, I could be wrong. I contend if that were the case, then all the movies DC was putting out prior to the announcement of the cancellation of the DCU would have been making five, six, seven, eight hundred million dollars. But the reality is they weren't making money either. Black Adam came out. And before it came out, they even announced Henry Cavill's back. Big H is back, ladies and gentlemen. The DCU was continuing. Henry Cavill's in there. Wah, wah. That movie made under $400 million and people still thought the DC was continuing. So I don't buy this excuse that some people make that it's because they announced it was, well, the movies before weren't making them any either. Here, here's the crazy thing it, about Aquaman. Yeah. It's like, I I saw it and I, I liked it. Like I had a good time. Like the you, first Aquaman I, or the second one? Uh, the, the second one. This right. one that just came. But I can't even think, of, think about going back and seeing it again in theaters. Blue Beetle? Yes, I would go back and see that. I really like Blue Beetle. I don't really uh, maybe even that. Black Adam. Maybe even Bla but Aquaman. After I watched it, I was like, "There's, I have no want or any itching to go back and watch it again." And that may be the problem. The rewatchability of some of these movies may be keeping that box office down because other people are just not going to go see them. Yeah, people have given all. up on the DCU. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's a death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, all of these different mm -hmm. things add up to people and not compounds going. exactly because because like John is saying. The whole reason they're even initiating the DCU with James Gunn is because they're not making money. Mm -hmm. People okay. gave up. People so now, gave up on the now DCU. they're moving on from it not making money, but now people aren't watching the last few movies because yeah. they're closing it down because it's not making money because people don't want to see it. And then it's like it compounds. Yeah. So There's so many way reasons for why you would have fallen off this train. Everyone's going to have their own different reason for yeah. it, <laughs> but ultimately ends up with DC not getting eyes. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, uh, heading into award season, one of the big favorites was the performance Lily Gladstone gave in Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Her performance in this movie is staggeringly good. Like, she was fantastic. And so there wasn't a lot of surprise out there when the useless Golden Globes came around and Lily Gladstone won Best Actress in a Drama. Right? And so it wasn't a big surprise. Then they headed into the uh, Critics' Choice Awards. And the Critics' Choice Awards gave the award, while Lily Gladstone was one of the favorites, the other favorite, of course, is Emma Stone, who won Best Lead Actress for a Comedy in the Useless Golden Globes. But when it came around to the Critics' Choice, the award went to Emma Stone. It's like, ooh, so heading this heats things up. Going into the Oscars, is it going to be Lily Gladstone? Or is it going to be Emma Stone? Now, there are still two big award ceremonies to come after the Critics' Choice. SAG and BAFTA. Now, not a lot of people in North America watch or follow the BAFTAs, but that is one of the most prestigious award shows going. One of the biggest honors you can get is the BAFTAs. 
Well, the nominations for the BAFTAs came out. And Lily Gladstone didn't even get nominated. Uh, this comes just from The Hollywood Reporter. The nominees were Fantasia uh, Barino for The Color Purple, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Vivian Oprah for Rye Lane, Margot Robbie for Barbie, and Emma Stone for Poor Things, and no Lily Gladstone. <clears throat> now listen, I have said this for a lot of years. I think the term snubbed is way overused, way overused and misappropriately used because I don't think somebody not getting a nomination is a snub. I think the only time you should be able to use the word snub is if somebody who legitimately had an opportunity to win that category didn't even get nominated. Like if somebody wasn't going to win and they didn't get nominated, I don't consider that a snub. Even if they deserved a nomination, if they weren't legitimately in the run to win, I don't think that's considered a snub. This is a snub. Mm. I, I, I mean, listen, I'm not saying whether she or Emma Stone should win, but if you saw this movie, if you saw Killers of a Flower Moon, you know how insanely good she is in this. She's in this movie with screen legends, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Oscar award winners, all this kind of stuff. But the performance people talk about coming out of that movie is her. And a lot of the big odds favorites are saying that it's a two horse race at the Oscars for best actress, Emma Stone, Lily Gladstone. And I got to tell you, man, to find out that she didn't even get nominated. She, yeah, she, I'm going to bring this up here. We had covered this uh, a couple weeks ago, right, uh, Chris? Yeah. This is the long list, right, yes. before they narrow it down. For, the, BAFTA? for BAFTAs. Yes. So she was on the long list, and that means she got beat out by, was it down to five, uh, John, that you have here? One, One two, two three, three, four, five. They got six nominees. Six. So mm -hmm. of those ten, they she was uh, one of four that was nixed. Yeah, listen, I'm not I don't I don't mean saying that to cast any shade oh, yeah. at no, any no. of the, the, yeah, yeah. the incredibly talented actresses who did get nominated. But there's at least five of them who didn't deserve the nomination over Lily Gladstone. And as a matter of fact, it's not the only kind of nose turn uppins at Killers of the Flower Moon that the Baptists gave this. Martin Scorsese was not nominated for best director. Uh, actually, I'm not even 100% sure that Killers of the Flower Moon even got nominated for Best Film. Did it? Yes, it did. It did get nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon. But Leonardo DiCaprio did not get nominated for Best Actor. Martin Scorsese did not get nominated for Best Director. I I'm okay with the Leonardo DiCaprio one. He was great in the movie, but I don't think it's his best performance. I don't know how Martin Scorsese doesn't get nominated for Best Director for this. I, I mean, I don't think he wins. So it's not as big of a snub to me as the Lily Gladstone thing. So anyway, Chris, I was shocked yeah. to see Lily Gladstone left off this. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Understandable. Does this change how we view the Oscar race now? I, I don't know. What do you think? It is odd to see her not on this list, especially after her being on the long list and her winning all these other awards. Yeah, I think we had predicted that she was going to make it to the next round yeah. and she did not. We were like, she's a shoe-in. Whoops. Yeah. Um, I know Vivian Opara, who's on there for Rye Market, uh, that is a uh, English romantic comedy that I know I, I haven't gotten the chance to see. I know it did some rounds at Sundance and some other film festivals and that's been getting a lot of buzz. And it is a British film. Remember, these are the British 
awards over there too. So it does make sense that we would see some more British films and things yeah. on there and British actors. Um, because, you know, Greta Lee, I don't believe was on that final list too for past lives. That's somebody else who I figured was a shoe in. So it makes sense for their awards that we would gravitate more towards those English films, British films, that sort of thing. That being said, anyone who talks about killers of Flower moon talks about Lily. They right. talk about how this is her movie. What a powerhouse performance that this is her year and everything. And we've seen that in all the other awards happening too. It's her or Emma Stone for the most part. So it is interesting this year to see how different awards are having different votes come in. We've had this before in the past too. You know, we all thought um, Angela Bassett was just going to sweep and then she didn't get her Oscar, right? right? So these kinds of upsets, if you will, happen all the time. We always but have Bassett to Bassett at least got nominated. She did get nominated. <laughs> but it all comes down too to who's voting. Who's voting for these different people? Because these different awards have different voting boards and different members who vote in for these things. So it's wild that she's not in there. But when I look at that list, I go, okay, I can see how this particular voting member body may have gone this way. I wouldn't have, but you know. That's I'm at the it. place though that I'm like, especially after like the Critics' Choice and stuff like that. If Emma Stone wins the SAG, I think then the race is over. I, I, I think Lily Gladstone, um, as great as she was, I think it's a it's a clear thing. Emma Stone with Lily not even getting the BAFTA nomination. If 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 Emma Stone does end up getting the SAG award. I think that's pretty much makes it a foregone conclusion. She's going to win the Oscar uh, this year. Still interesting thing there that that's a big shock to me. Let's see if she actually gets an Oscar nomination. I, I thought she might, she was one of the fr front two runners to win it. Now we got to wonder if she's even going to get nominated. All right, <clears throat> guys with that down, let's move on to this. Shall we? The world of Lucasfilm and Star Wars is a complete and utter mess uh, right now. They, they've managed to put out some really good stuff. Hey, Andor, best thing Star Wars has ever done since the original trilogy. Um, you know, Mandalorian season one, Mandalorian season two. You know, they they put out some really really good stuff, but they've also been a disorganized mess with all these things being announced, then projects not happening, rearranging things, at Star Wars Celebration announcing all these movies finding out one or two of them may not be happening now. One of the ones they did not mention was a Mandalorian movie, and out of nowhere, Mandalorian's the next movie they're shooting. Then they're saying Mandalorian season four is still going to happen, despite the fact that they're doing a Mandalorian movie. Well, the same day that they the word came out that they're doing a Mandalorian season four, <clears throat> the Hollywood Reporter put out an article that's actually bringing that into question about whether or not that season four is even really going to happen. Uh, this comes to us from over at The Hollywood Reporter that wrote this. Star Wars gave us confusion more than anything else with its Jon Favreau movie announcement. Uh, and by the way, me personally, I think making a Mandalorian movie is a good move. We'll talk about that more later. With the Jon Favreau movie announcement. After the very mess season three of The Mandalorian, I agree with that, who was clamoring for a movie? And what happens to season four of the show? Here's what we know. Pre-Strikes... Lucasfilm was intent on making season four of The Mandalorian. The scripts had all been written. During the Great Hollywood break, however, things got reevaluated, with plans shifting to the movie as the priority. What happens to season four now is unclear. It's definitely not a given. If the movie is a success, it could lead to the next phase of Mando storytelling becoming movie sequels, 
box office and fan reaction would determine that. So <clears throat> while Lucasfilm, on the same day that Lucasfilm was coming out and saying, hey guys, we're still going to do Mandalorian season four, which made a lot of people go, wait, wait, what? But you, you said you're taking it to the movies. Then my big concern that I said on the show was, well, now I'm a little bit worried that they're just going to use the movie as a Disney Plus marketing tool. Say, hey, everybody, make sure you sign up for Disney Plus to see the continuing adventures of Mando and Grogu. And, and they're just kind of crapping on the movie and disrespecting the theatrical aspect of it and doing that. Not that that's what they're doing. It's just what I worry about. But on the same day that's all coming out, the insiders of The Hollywood Reporter are saying, eh, guys, actually what we're hearing is they're talking season four, but it may not actually happen. <laughs> Mandalorian is a really interesting scenario right now, guys, because as hyped and hot as it was at the end of season two, with everybody losing their collective minds when Luke comes out and starts wrecking fools, you could also hear then a pin drop when season three ended. It's like, really? Jack Black, king of a planet, huh? By the way, I love Jack Black. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Really? Solve the murder mystery by finding a droid bard card on a dead droid body. Really? Cracking the case. It just, it, it was a letdown from season one and two. I'm not saying it was terrible. I'm just saying it was a letdown from season one and two. And I think it sapped a lot of people's enthusiasm about the Mandalorian property. Hey, to me, it's still two and one. Two big win seasons, one questionable one. Let's, let's keep going with the Mando story. That's my attitude at any rate. I loved the idea of making it a movie because even though it's a bit of a risk trying to take a television show and making it into a movie now, the reality is the Star Wars fan base is still very divided, but the only thing in the last number of years that's come close to uniting the fan base has been Mandalorian seasons one and two. Everybody seems to have been able to hold hands together and go, we really like this and shared a Coke and all that kind of stuff. Like it was, it was joy <laughs> and happiness amongst the people. So trying to return to the theaters with something that's a little bit of a safe bet, like a Mandalorian, I actually thought was not a bad idea. <coughs> I do find it strange though, when they said they're still going to do a season four of Mandalorian, which brought up my concerns that I mentioned earlier. And it's like, well, are you dividing your attention and time now? Like, if you're making a damn movie, put 100% of your energy, effort, and focus into making the best damn movie you can. Nah. Nah. <laughs> Let's just do it on the volume. Let's, I, I, again, I'm not saying that's what they're doing. That's just my concern. And now having the folks at The Hollywood Reporter coming out and saying, listen, they're saying season four, but it may not be a foregone conclusion. I know, Chris, this just continues to look to me like Lucasfilm is the house of Lucasfilm is a complete and disarray mess. Yeah. So I, I don't know, what, what do you see coming out of this and what do you think about the whole idea? Is everyone talking to each other? Are we all having <laughs> conversations with each other? That's that's how the kind of, this kind of feels is, no, 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 we're doing a movie. Oh, so season four? Oh, maybe, I don't know. It's, it feels very just kind of laid back right now. Like maybe we'll be at a season four. I don't know, we're going to focus on a film. Maybe we'll focus on a film. Who's to say? However you feel about Star Wars right now, there is no denying that Mandalorian saved a dying franchise. All right? The films were not doing well. 
people had a very sour taste in their mouth. Dying might be an extreme word here, well, but people films, were not happy. Financially, the films were doing great. We're doing great. fine, but the yeah. fandom itself. Yes, the fandom was itself was in disarray. Pretty toxic all over the place. People were not happy with the, what they were seeing. And Mandalorian season one was one of those things that for the most part, fans really rallied behind. Yes. New people came into the Star Wars fandom too and went, ooh, I like this. I like this kind of Kurosawa Star Wars. Is there more of this? Why, yes, there is a new person. Let's go check out some of these other things. It was a really great gateway for so many people. Season two, really enjoyed season three. I liked more than you guys, but I understand the flaws there. I understand we had some missteps. I will die on any hill where Jack Black can do whatever he wants forever. All right? <laughs> if you watch The Holiday and you like Jude Law, we are not the same person. You should be in love with Jack Black, and that's who you should want to date you. That's the person. That all being said, I think a movie is the right move here. I think that's strong. I think, you know, doing a hour and a half, under two hour kind of situation for Mandalorian or whatever story they're going to tell could benefit as opposed to knocking out six to eight episodes and having us have a nice cohesive story where we put the focus on Mando, where we put the focus on Din and we put the focus on Grogu. Maybe have a little less questing, if you will, off to the side, some side quests that he has to go on. Have a focused mission. I think that's the move here. The television show is great, and it came at such a good time, right? It came in October of COVID, the pandemic, where we all were at home. We needed something fun to watch. We needed something really cool and different, and this gave us that. I want Star Wars to continue expanding its universe and continue playing and exploring. And I think one of those things is allowing shows or movies to kind of bounce back and forth between which sort of medium they're going to pursue. I love the idea of them switching to a feature-length film format and see how that plays out. A season four feels redundant, if we are going to have the movie. And that's the only place where they could kill Grogu, or like a movie, instead of a series. Why, I mean, why you got to be like well, that, Grogu right? Well, Grogu got to die at some point. You guys, let him be a sweet baby. Look, I, I honestly, I'm starting to really come to this belief. You don't have to reboot Star Wars, but you have to practically reboot it. I think it's time to leave everything else you've done behind and jump 45 years into the future. Like, yeah, reference all the canonical stuff of Star Wars. We're still in that same universe, but now it's 45 years later. Get rid of all, everything else, and just give yourself the permission to start with a clean slate. You can even say Rey is still alive if you want, and like one of the headmasters of the new Jedi Academy or whatever you want to do, but make the story about new characters, new things moving forward. Or do the complete opposite and kind of restart by going backwards into, say, the old Republic era and start making movies around the new Republic era. And you're completely free to tell any story you want because you're thousands of years in the past. You can do whatever you want there. I just think they are hurting themselves right now by desperately trying to cling on to the things they already have. Not everything has to be set between Empire and Jedi. Not everything needs to be set in this huge, spanning, sprawling universe in this one finite period of time of a couple of decades, and everything has to be in there. And, and again, I say this to somebody who said, hey, Mandalorian movie's not a bad idea, it could reunify the fan base. But really bigger, I think it's time for them to say, look, let's just cut bait. We did all this stuff with the prequels and the original trilogy and the cartoons, and everything, but it's time for us to move on. 
Let's go to Old Republic or let's move 45 years in the future and start fresh and start rebuilding this franchise again. Because I think just trying to fix it in the same fucking time period they've been living in for the last number, I just don't think it's working. And it's time to change plans here. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what, what happens. We'll see what they cancel next. Let's see what they cancel next. <laughs> all right, guys. With that all down, it's time for us to go over to the most important part of the show, which is to hear from you guys and hear your thoughts, theories, opinions, and questions about any or all the stuff that we've talked about. But before we do, we're going to take another moment here and thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode, our friends at BetterHelp and Mando. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of today's video, Better help. Guys, it's a brand new year and a lot of people are making New Year's resolutions, you know, things they want to change about themselves. But I've always believed that it's also equally as important to identify the things we're doing well and building on those. And therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. I've always believed that nothing impacts our daily performance in our jobs, our hobbies, our relationships, like our mental health. And I've also said for a long time that it's about time that we stop just putting emphasis on improving our physical health by getting out to the gym, but also by putting emphasis on improving our mental health as well. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So guys, celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash campia today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Campia. Guys, we want to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mando. Mando whole body deodorant is the all-terrain vehicle of deodorants. It goes everywhere. Put it in your pits, package, feet, back, knees, everywhere. Because something all of us guys know is that body odor happens all over your body. So why are we just putting on deodorant in our pits? Mando is powerful. It's clinically proven to control odor everywhere, but gentle enough to use in your sensitive bits too. Just try Mando's cologne quality scents and smell the difference from your underarms to your underballs. And a special offer for John Campia's show audience members, new customers get $5 off a starter pack with our exclusive code and link. Use the code Campia at at shopmando.com. S-H-O-P-M-A-N-D-O.com. I have been loving using Mando because it goes on smooth, it feels clean, and it leaves me smelling great. Mando is created by a doctor who saw firsthand how normal BO was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. And it is clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. And Mando's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mint body wash and deodorant wipes and free shipping. And again, as a special offer for John Campia Show audience members, new customers get $5 off a Mando starter pack with the code CAMPIA at shopmando.com. <laughs> and thank you to our friends at BetterHelp and Mando for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. <laughs> All right, guys, with that down, let's get over to your comments and questions, shall we? Chris, what do we got up here well, first? Um, from Andy. I agree, John. A movie being shorter or longer doesn't make it better. It's not the size of the waves. It's the motion of the ocean. Oh, Just ask Reggie of Riverdale. I, I don't understand the reference. But yes, it's, it, every movie will have its own perfect length, right? Star Wars was not over two hours. It was the perfect length for that movie. 
Lord of the Rings was like three hours, but it was the perfect length for that movie. Like every film has its own. Longer isn't better, shorter isn't better. It's time we get rid of that myth. All right, what's next? Uh, James Wheeler. From James Wheeler. Uh, Tatiana Maslany played the young mother who died at oh, the Oh, no, beginning. that was from yesterday. Uh, sorry, oh, yesterday? Jan- oh, yeah, sorry, my bad. Oh, thank it's two you. James okay. Wheelers. James Wheeler, who sends in a $20 super chat thank today. You, James. Hello, everyone. I'd like to make a correction about my super chat yesterday. I said Tatiana <laughs> Maslany was in Eastern Promises. She was just a voiceover of the diary being read. So oh, we okay. Because that's just, and he's right next to his own yeah. I was like, I never knew that that was Tatiana Maslany in the movie. Well, that would be why we didn't know yeah. that. And thank you for, listen. It's it's very good of you to actually write in and correct yourself. I appreciate that very much. So thanks for that, James. And we appreciate it. Twenty dollar chat. That's yeah. so sweet. Thank you, dude, for supporting us in that level. All right, what's next? From HV three, have you? Uh, you've mentioned that you want a remake of the Last Starfighter, yep. and I agree. I also want a remake of Stephen King's The Langoliers. Oh yeah. That's Sorry. been talked about. That 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 has been talked about. I've, I've heard there. I'm were... not familiar with this at all. You but don't know the. I no. love the 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 first. Okay, this is. I'm going to age myself right now. I love this the, is the one with the airplane, right? I love the first tape because when I watched it, I rented it at Blockbuster and it was two tapes. The <laughs> second tape, just like the first, it it fell off for me because it went a little too sci-fi. Mm. But the buildup, Stephen Stephen King is real great at building up. Yeah. The the, the scene and what you're about to. But then it just falls off at the end. Sometimes it's like South Park to me. But The Last Starfighter, man, listen. So good. There is no movie that is better positioned for a remake than The Last Starfighter. I've always said that what makes a movie a great candidate for a remake is you got a great base story, check, that it would that it would tell well in a modern context. Hell, you can say the story of The Last Starfighter is way more relevant today than when it came out. And number three, that it could benefit from modern technology. Check. This is the perfect movie to remake. But instead of a, an arcade game, it's a, it's a PS5 game or an Xbox game or something like that. But whatever, they abs- I think The Last Starfighter is a movie that was way ahead of its time. I think it would do far better today than it did before. And if you're ever going to remake a movie, it's The Last Starfighter. Guess what guy's in uh, Langoliers, John? Our guy. Or my guy. Tatiana Mislani. Da- da- David Morse. He will eat. Da- David oh, Morse. David Morse in that. He's, the, he's that. the pilot. Oh, I love yeah, David yeah. Morse. All right. So, what's next? From uh, HV3 again. All this talk about Clancy Brown lately has made me think about his most underrated performance as the prison guard in The Hurricane. Is that the boxing movie? When as soon as you said the uh, the prison guard, I just thought of Shanks. Yeah, Shanks. Yeah. Yeah. They're going. Uh, listen. Also, he was in what was the name of the Fox series five or six years ago? About uh, it was the name of the town where the headless horseman was from. Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Clancy Brown was in season one of that. I really liked him in that. I like him in everything. Clancy Brown. I hope they found, I hope they find a cameo role for him in some way, shape, or form in the new Highlander. I really do. I think that would just be perfect. It's one of the aliens. They're not aliens. You you stop that right now. (laughs) They are not aliens. Yeah. All right, what's next? (laughs) From Matt Boyle. Is The Godfather Part 3 worth watching? I've only seen Part 1 and 2. You know what? Unequivocally, yes. It gets a lot of trash talk. I I honestly feel like half the people who trash talk it never actually saw it. Is it the weakest of the Godfather movies? Unquestionably. But you take out the um, Coppola girl. um, Yeah, please. Sophia? Great director, but I didn't like her in that movie. Yeah, no, she wasn't good in the movie, and the role wasn't good, 
right? It's not all her fault. I mean, it wasn't well-written, yeah. whatever. You take Sofia Coppola's character in that storyline out. That is still a great movie. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It's got some of, not the best, but some of the best scenes in all the Godfather movies. Um, the ending, too, is just so poetically beautiful with the ending of Michael Corleone. I, I, it's a really good movie. And nowhere near as good as Godfather 1 and 2. But yes, I think if you enjoy Godfather 1 and 2, I think you should watch Godfather 3. All right, what's next? From Murray Reich, in regards to the news of Jerry Jones re-signing Mike McCarthy, I love how he says the Cowboys are close to achieving their goal, which he has been saying that for 28 years straight, <laughs> LOL. Hashtag, how about them Cowboys? <clears throat> okay, you know what? I, I, I will say I'm surprised they're keeping Mike McCarthy on. That being said, he has done something I don't think any other team in the NFL has done over the last three years, which is they've won 12 games each year of the last three years. That is a huge amount of success. And he has put together a very good team. The sad thing about the playoffs is that you're running into other teams that are good enough to be in the playoffs and anything can happen. So I thought they would have replaced Coach McCarthy. But when you see how good he had that team playing until that one game, I don't blame them for keeping him. I mean... 12, three seasons in a row of 12 wins? Like, because here's here's what Jerry Jones knows. You bring in a new coach, and next year the team wins 10 games? Oh, you shouldn't have pulled the trigger on Mike McCarthy. Right? So, I, I, I get it. I would have made a change, but I get why they're keeping him. Well, Chris has a different stance on that, right, Chris? Oh, oh yeah, Chris guys, has a big I don't want to confuse you, okay? <laughs> I want to get into it. I don't it. even follow football, but, man, I haven't been having a kick watching these, like, video collections of, of Cowboys fans smashing their TVs in anger. Have you seen I any saw, of those? I, did you see the Skip Bayless one? <laughs> Skip Bayless, big sports commentator, is he, is literally taking fan? all of his cowboy. He's a big cowboy, taking all of his Cowboys gear and throwing it in the garbage. Like after the Cowboys Jeez. lost the game, it was, it was funny. All right, oh, anyway, man. we gotta keep going. What's next? From Neo Braveheart, did you see the Beekeeper? And if so, what are your thoughts on the film? I did not have a chance to see the Beekeeper, but I plan on watching oh. it. I, I I listen. I don't care. It's Jason Statham. Yeah, I know. I know. There's only certain things I need from Jason Statham. Say some quippy lines and kick a lot of ass. You do that, I'll generally be happy as long as it's not the Meg Part 3 or I whatever. Do, I do like the villains in this one. I hate the, 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 the scammers. Scam, telemarketers scammers. scammers. Oh my God. I want to watch them all die, man. I want to watch them all die. Yeah. All right, what's next? I'm just glad I don't have to watch the trailers anymore. <laughs> From Christ Courage. Hi, John and crew. Have you guys seen or plan on seeing Mean Girls? I personally wasn't too excited for it, but gave it a shot last night, and I'm so glad I did. I'll definitely go back this weekend. <clears throat> Listen, I'll tell you what. First of all, to answer your question, I have no interest in watching The Mean Girls, so I'm not going to watch it. That being said, uh, this movie's already a success. I think they made it for like $35 million. It made 26 on its opening weekend. And to be fair, the responses have been pretty positive. People seem to like it. Yeah. Now, again, it's not for me. I'm probably not going to watch it myself. But I'm hearing decent things about it. It's doing well financially. Uh, good for them for having that success. Thirty-eight million opening was twenty-eight million, and now it's sitting at thirty-eight. Yep. So it's so it's already made back its production budget, and uh, I, I listen when you can already make back your production budget in your first week, your path to becoming a profitable movie is a pretty easy path after that. So good for them! Like congratulations to them for that. All right, what's next? 
From Kenneth E. Crayley Jr., some support. Thank you so much, Kenneth. Thank you, Kenneth. From Neo Braveheart. Have you ever heard of the show Has Been Hotel on Amazon? I just saw a trailer for season two, and it looks really funny. I have never heard of it, but I love the title. Yeah, so me too. Ha- I love that title. Is it like Faulty Towers or something? It's an animated series, and I, if I correct me if I'm wrong here, guys. There we go. Okay, it's about the daughter of Lucifer and a bunch of demons and things, and it started out, I believe, as a like webtoon YouTube series or something Wait, like that. I think I've seen an episode of this, but go, go keep on. Yeah, it's really cute looking. The animation is wild. I haven't gotten to watch any of I it. I like almost but, any movie or TV show that just yeah. takes place in a hotel. I don't know why. I just generally do. The, oh, yeah. the breakdown right. of this is Man, the daughter of Lucifer opens a rehabilitation hotel that offers a group of misfit demons a chance at re- redemption. Super fun. All right. Sounds like All it could have right. been written by C.S. Lewis. All right. What's next? <laughs> From Reels and Heels. Not movie related, but since we are family, I'd like to share that after three boys and a 10-year gap, we're finally having a daughter do oh, my nice. origin. Her name is Mahila Lucille. Aww. Congratulations, guys. That's incredibly exciting. I mean, it would have been incredibly exciting if it was going to be another boy, but that's great that you're going to, you're having another kid. So congratulations on that to you and your family. Yeah. Mazel tov. All right. What's next? From Jay Loco. Remember Malcolm in the Middle? I'm rewatching it. I never watched it. Oh, what? I never watched Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, my God. That show was so fun. Was that the one that had Brian Cranston in it? Yeah, yeah. he was the right. father. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I've seen some clips on YouTube, but I never actually... Was it good? Oh, it was really good. Yeah, to the point where I actually made my own Malcolm in the Middle. Didn't they do a lot of, like, covers? breaking the fourth wall and address the audience in that show? Yeah, yeah. there was just... A, it was just... At the music, they would play, like, all that... that the punk, like, the... Uh, pop punk and stuff during yeah. it. It was a, uh, it was a time. Was uh, I think it had eight seasons. I'm not it sure. It is successful. But... I don't remember that. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Quantum of Zen, sending in a twenty dollars chat. <clears throat> Thank you, Quantum. Hey, John and crew. Thanks for being amazing movie people who make weekdays so much more fun. Keep bringing on the filthy. Oh, uh, thank you so much, man. Like, honestly, it's it's amazing that every day we get to wake up and know we get to just go and talk about movies it's it's such a great thing and to have the community here do it thank you for being a part of it and thank you for supporting us man we appreciate it all right what's next from al regal amc or cinemark Uh, listen again it's with all the problems i have with amc they remain my theater of choice now i've recently started to wonder about that but the practicality is it's the closest theater to me the the closest cinemark to me is a i think is near anaheim so it's a good like 25 minute drive for me. I would walk yeah. to Cinemark just to get and to I that. would walk. It's a great cinema, home. man. Oh that Cinemark is great. The food is so great. <laughs> yeah, and listen, the, the Regal at the uh, Irvine Spectrum Center is a great Regal too, but I, I yeah, they, the AMC is still my movie theater going experience of choice. If the Cinemark or Regal were a little bit closer, I might yeah. reevaluate that. But <laughs> Yeah, is it like the Spectrum factor where it's like, what's your favorite internet? The only internet we have. Spectrum. No, 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 no. It's, it's not like that. No, no, it's not like oh, okay, that. Okay. Yeah. All right. What's next? From Andy, one of two. My biggest takeaway from May December was Reggie's big D. The teens on Riverdale may have missed out on a five-some relationship with him, but Natalie Portman got all of him for a good ten seconds. Is that the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't think May December was all that great. Same. Yeah, I. I I was I was a little late to it, but you know while I was sick I decided okay a few weeks ago I decided okay it's time for me to watch May December, and I heard all this great stuff about it and don't get me wrong performances are fantastic all that kind of stuff, when I watched it, I thought this isn't all that great I mean it's it's not bad but I I didn't think it was all that wonderful I just wish they leaned into the camp fully 
if that was the route they wanted to go, as opposed to just having the music play up those moments, such as the, I don't know if we have enough hot dogs, ominous cord, you know, <laughs> ominous if, cord. if they had leaned into that full throttle, I think it would have been more effective. Or if they had shifted focus over to Charles Mendelssohn's character, I, he was phenomenal. And I went, why are we talking more about him? I do not care about this actress, real person dynamic at all. This is so uninteresting to me. So, by the way, when you mentioned work. the uh, ominous chord, yeah. it made me think of, I got to mention this. I know it's been out for over a week and I was late to the party, but there is a YouTube video out there called Zack Snyder's Star Wars. When I watch it, it had half a million views. Oh my God, it's fantastic. And it's just. If you guys haven't seen it, look it up and watch the whole thing. It's, it's, I think it's about 12 minutes long or something like that. It's brilliant. It's great. Uh, go, go look out. Yes, that's right. Uh, Mode Man 101 is saying, is, can you bring up his comment, Jonathan? Mode Man 101 is saying the Arl Knots. Yes, the Arl Knots. Is, that's the, those are the people who made it. It's absolutely incredible. You should go check it out. It's really good. By the way, too, I also watched the latest episode of Percy Jackson last night. Mm. Show continues to delight. I need to catch up. I have yeah, to watch just that. Continues to delight. Instead, we pivoted to the premiere, the double episode of uh, Death and Other Details, which I really like. Mm. Is that Manny Patinkin? It's Manny Patinkin. It yeah. is him in that. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna have to watch that. I like it. All right, I like good murder mysteries. All right, what's next? From Aurora Uplinks. I personally believe Mandalorian seasons four and five will happen and Mando Grogu movie will be good. I believe in Favreau. Iger supports him, it seems, too. I'm going to say something that's going to be a little <laughs> hot take. Oh, yeah. Shocking. <laughs> I re after Mandalorian season two, the world was yelling, let John Favreau or Dave Filoni take over the Star Wars universe. That's cooled a little bit after we got Boba Fett, Mandalorian season three, Ahsoka. It's, it's, it's cooled a little bit. Um, <coughs> I love John Favreau. Make no mistake. I, I, I passionately love John Favreau. Uh, and I was excited to hear that he'd be the one directing a Mandalorian movie, but I don't know that I'm as much on board anymore, or, or I don't think people in general are as much on board with, well, these guys run Lucasfilm now. It's like, maybe? Let's see how the next little while unfolds. We'll see. All right, what's next? From Andy. I agree, John. A movie being, oh, we already did this one. Uh, from CR. Uh, Dodgson, Dodgson, we got Dodgson here. See, nobody cares. Oh, uh, that's uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, the scene with Newman. <laughs> that we have to see. Nobody cares. <laughs> By the way, why hasn't he had more of a career after uh, after Seinfeld? I think he's a delightful performer. I really like him. Wayne anyway, Knight. He's, Wayne Knight. That's he's right. Great that's in uh, Space Jam. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> love him in that. All right, what's next? From Suthius, can we mostly agree that Snyder is an awesome visual director? But when it comes to writing his own story, he's really not that great at it. Listen, I have said forever. I think Zack Snyder is a visionary visual storyteller. Like, I, I, it's, and I don't mean it as a joke. I say it all the time, but I do not mean it as a joke. You even take Sucker Punch and hit it, hit mute. You're think, you'd think you're watching a really good movie. Zack Snyder has great vision when it comes to visual storytelling. I, I think he is great at it. Where he does sometimes struggle 
is narrative. And that's pretty big, and that's pretty important. Rebel Moon is awful. Um, but visually, and the underlying mythology is actually pretty good. See, Zack Snyder's really good at coming up with this base idea and creating kind of a, a general mythology. It's just the part where now you got to build your story around that mythology that sometimes he struggles. Sometimes he hits it out of the park like Man of Steel. But sometimes he struggles. Again, go watch that Zack Snyder Star Wars video. It's just, it's just really funny. Even if you really like Rebel Moon, I think you're going to get a kick out of it. All right, what's next? From Mason, I'm sad that the, fantastic, uh, the Fast and Furious guys are scaling back the last movie for their last go... Uh, for their last go out with a bang. I want a, a 450 M miles million, per hour, yeah. million, million dollar uh, fast and furious movie where they race on Mars. Yeah. Here's the thing. They would, the studio would close down because yeah. they would Universal lose all their money. I mean, the last four, I think fantastic, fantastic four. I think the last four fast and furious movies have dropped in box office more and more and more. Uh, the most recent one I think made 700 million, but at over a $300 million budget, um, I, I think they have, and you you have to expect the next one's going to make even less because that's been the trajectory of these films. And nine and ten were god awful. So I think the idea of bringing it back to its roots, make it about a single heist, make it about a single car race, uh, doing that, and take it back to the roots of you know fast one, two, three, and even to a degree four, I, I think is the smart move. And I think it'll satisfy a lot of the long term fans of the Fast and Furious franchise as well. So we'll see. All right, what's next? Uh, that was that one, right? So yep. we'll move on to members. So from Mr. Goth, Bob Ross Rogers, I'm a huge cheerleader for Richard Simmons. What are your thoughts on Polly Shore portraying him on screen, considering Shore was family friends with Simmons? I completely have faith in the Wheeze that he will nail the role. I followed his pursuit of this. Now there appears to be a controversy. Simmons wants to remain private. Thoughts? I hope Shore's upcoming short film wins back the hearts of our beloved Richard Simmons and the future film proceeds and is a success. Bring on the filthy. Number one, I don't think this is ever going to see the inside of a movie theater. Uh, number two, and I say this with all due respect, I don't think anybody cares. I, I, I just think most of today's generation don't know Richard Simmons, who was an absolute character. Make no mistake about it. I also think most of today's movie-watching generation doesn't care about Pauly Shore. Um, I don't think this movie will ever be in theaters. At best, it'll probably be like a Roku or I was, something like that. I was thinking it'd be cool if they did. They went the way of uh, the the last Weird Al Yankovic. But go with that tone. Yeah, I, <laughs> which I don't think they will. Yeah. But on top of that, Richard Simmons put out a statement, a very rare statement mm -hmm. saying, just so everybody knows and to be clear, I never gave my permission for this movie to be made. That's not good Yeah. No. when you got the subject of the movie and you got the producer saying, oh, no, we want to honor Richard because he was so great and so great. And yet you have that same person now come out and say, just so everybody knows, I never gave my permission for this movie to be made. It's not a good look. So, number one, I don't think this ever sees the inside of a movie theater. It'll be direct to streaming at best. But number two, I think there's a really good chance this movie doesn't get made at all. Um, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. Buddy. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, what's My next? <laughs> Had to pull that one out. From Amin, just watched Anatomy of a Fall, and I feel mentally drained. What a great film. What did you like more, Anatomy of a <laughs> Fall or The Holdovers? Holdovers. Uh, I, I thought Anatomy of a Fall, I was late to that one. I thought Anatomy of a Fall was very, very good. Th there's this little collection of films this year that were just so good, 
and they're, I kind of put them in the same ecosystem with each other. Anatomy of a Fall, Past Lives, Holdovers. They're movies that found ways to move me and entertain me at the same time. Um, and, and there were just a real number. This I feel like this happens at the end of every year. We thought, oh, that was an okay year for film. And then we sit down and actually look at all the films that came out. We're going, holy shit, that was a really great year for film. And those are a couple of films that add to that. All right, what's next? From Jay Superboy. Hey, John, just your thoughts on Percy Jackson. So far, I love seeing Edge on there. Keep it filthy. Edge as um, the God of War. As Ares. He as was Ares. great. He was really good. I just have to watch it. He I'm was so episode three. Um, I, listen, I, do I think it's the best thing on TV? No. But I have been thoroughly charmed by it. I have really enjoyed it. Again, um, uh, Walker uh, Scoble. Walker Scoble, yeah. Walker Scoble. This kid's going to be a superstar for the rest of his life. I think this kid is just going to get better and better and better. He owns the screen he's on. He's got such a natural charm. He's got a very Ryan Reynolds quality about him. Um, so he's going to be great. And no, that other creature was not Mark Hamill. I don't believe that was Mark Hamill. Um, <coughs> unless somebody knows that I'm wrong and can point me to something, but I don't think that was Mark Hamill. I saw a lot of discussion online that people thought it was Mark Hamill. The show's really good. I, I'm getting a little frustrated by how they're drawing certain things out. Like, okay, show us Poseidon already. Like, we're going into a couple of the last episodes. But John in the books, and the, I, I get it. But, you know, maybe give us a little glimpse of something. But overall, let's put it this way. Yesterday, I double-checked the, the calendar say, oh, there's a new episode of Percy Jackson. It's time to sit down and watch it. I, I mean, and that's where I'm at with the show. I don't think it's as good as Monarch. I don't think it's as good as The Boys. I don't think it's as good as House of the Dragon. But, I mean... It's, it's a good win for Disney+. Plus. And uh, it's a charming little show. I hope they're able to finish strong. All right. Two more questions. What's next? From Dominic Suma. Do you have any early guess for Godzilla vs. Kong opening weekend? I think Godzilla being so hot could get it close to the 75 to $100 million range. 50. 50. I, I don't think... Look, the reality... Look, here's the thing. Godzilla minus one. Reality is nobody saw it. What's the worldwide total box office rate of Godzilla minus one? It's a great number compared to its production budget, right? But I don't think it made $200 million. It is 96 million. 90, so it didn't make 100 million. Now, compared to its budget, which I think is 15 million, that's mm -hmm. great. From a business point of view, that's a success. But in practical terms, that means nobody watched it, right? Monarch is fantastic, but Apple TV Plus doesn't have the same viewership as Amazon or Max or Netflix. <coughs> so I don't know how many people actually watch the show. Well, Godzilla vs. Kong, even though it was on streaming, right? It was during the... Yeah. It made $470 million and its opening was $31 million. Yeah. So, so yeah. And so I'm going to say 50 which will be an improvement that's an, yeah, over good. the last one. But I, I don't see it. And I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I would love to see it make 75 to 100 million opening weekend. But I think it tops out at like 50. It only made 100 million total domestically. It made the rest of its money. Oh, Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah. 360 internationally. Made most of it internationally. Yeah. All right. What's next? Uh, sorry, here. From CJ Rebirth. Have you guys ever seen the movie Big Fat Liar? It had Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes, <laughs> and was my introduction to Paul Giamatti. It's one of my favorite childhood films and was also directed by Sean Levy. 
I don't recognize it. So I've only seen a clip from this movie because of the Universal Studio Tour. When you go to that one part where they show you how they can flood an area. Oh, and the 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 water comes rushing down and Paul Giamatti gets swept away. Yep, that's that movie. That's from that movie. That's the only clip I've ever seen from that. (laughs) You guys need to start watching more movies and not clips. (laughs) There he is. What the fuck did you just say? <laughs> of all people, what oh, did man, you man. just say? First of all, are you guys that sleepy that you just have to watch clips? What are you, some animals? Look Jeez. at Paul Giamatti in there. Look at him. You know, I bet ask Anne if she's watched that film. She was a huge I'll Frank, bet you Frankie Munoz fan like yep. back in the day. Yeah, she'll, she'll know that movie. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Canfee Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here, making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. I want to thank the people in the room with me. Heading over to watch I I today, Ray Aura. See ya. Jonathan Voico. See you guys. And again, happy anniversary to you and Laura. Thank you. And of course, Chris Carr. Bye, guys. My name is John Campia. Thanks so much for being here, guys. And until next time, my friends, everybody wants Willie. (laughs) 